If you would take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 52 this morning. So we'll be spending our time, Isaiah 52. We're not quite going to get through all of it because the next section of Isaiah actually gets into the suffering servant, which is probably the most well-known passage of all of the book of Isaiah. As is our custom here at Hope, we work through the Bible. We work through the Bible verse by verse. We work through the Old Testament, and then we, um, we kind of flip-flop back and forth between the Old Testament and New Testament. So we are in Isaiah chapter 52. This is speaking about uh, Isaiah is prophesying to a people who will be in captivity in Babylon. So these, this is a people that has been foretold because they have uh, followed foreign gods. They have done things that are abhorrent to God. And he is prophesying in the future to these people, saying, If you will turn and trust in the Lord, then he will redeem you. He will save you. And so the prophecy is given to a people who will one day be in exile in Babylon. And what we find in Isaiah chapter 52, as we're leading up to the suffering servant, is we find um, this idea that we are called to awaken to our own um, situations, awaken to the world. We find this in Isaiah chapter 51, verses 9. Uh, Blake talked about that last week. He talked about, uh, I'm just going to review it before we read it. Um, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old. In verse 17, it says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord. And then in Isaiah 52, 1, to kind of work itself out, so when we hear something uh, given to us in sort of a triad, as it were, or repeated within Hebrew, when it says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, the first point is this, is that we are called to awake from your slumber. But as we think about waking up, Let's uh, read the Word of God. We're going to be reading Isaiah 52, verses 1 through 12. Um, So if you would, and you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you, the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise, be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, The rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually, all the day, my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. 
For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So again, the first idea that we see, and again, this is a reiteration of Isaiah chapter 51, verses 9 and 17, is this, is this idea of awake, awake. And so it's this idea of awake from your slumber. That, if you're taking notes, that would be the first point. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So there's this, there's this idea here that the people of God have fallen asleep. And they have fallen asleep in the midst of being in Babylon. Again, this is a prophecy foretelling that when they are in Babylon, what happens to the people of God sometimes when we are surrounded by the world is that we become very, very comfortable in the world. The world becomes something that we actually embrace, whereas we, we think less of heaven and we think more of the world. I don't think you know, that's a surprise. I mean, how, how, how often do we spend our time and, and the consumption of our, of our wealth and what we do spending it on the world as opposed to thinking about heaven? And really, there's, there's two cities. There's the, the city of Babylon here in Isaiah, that represents the world. It represents everything that the world has to offer. And it also represents all of the wickedness of the world. And so what he's saying is, awake, awake, because you are sleeping in the midst of Babylon. You have allowed yourself to be assimilated into the culture of wickedness among the Babylonian people. And he says, I want you to awake, and I want you to depart and go to Zion. Now, Zion is is a place, it's Jerusalem, but it also represents more within Scripture. You're the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Zion represents people who are in love with the Lord, whose eyes are fixed upon heaven and not upon the world around them. Rather than being fixated by Babylon, or quite frankly, being in a drunken stupor, or being just asleep, at the wheel, as it were. Um, I mean, how many, I, was, I was talking to, uh, I remember uh, Chris Howell was talk, talking to me, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not calling Chris out, but he was saying he was driving home from the shipyard and how hard it was one night as he said, I had to do everything I could at like 2 a.m. to stay awake as I'm driving home from the shipyard. I got the windows rolled down. I got the music blared. I got the heat on. I'm doing everything that I possibly can. Now, I know some of you have been at a place where you've been driving and, and the thought goes in your head, I just need to close my eyes for a second. Anybody here ever been there? That's dangerous. Anybody ever woken up in the ditch? You know? I mean, that's what happens when we say, oh, you know, we just want to fall asleep. Or there's a sense in which you know, when, when the Lord God of heaven tells us, he calls us to, to wake up. Now, one of the things I want you to see here in, in terms of awaking from the slumber, is when you look at verse 5 of Isaiah 52, now, here's what he's saying. Here's the current condition of the people. He's saying, now, therefore, what have I here? Now, this is kind of funny. It's, it's almost this idea of, like, when, when, as, a, as a parent of young children, and you walk into the kitchen, and, and you realize that they've been trying to make dinner for you, or they've been trying to do, and I don't mean, like, kids are, like, 14, 15. I mean kids who are, like, 3, four and five, and they have the good idea that now they're going to actually, you know, create something. 
and you kind of walk in, and you walk into what would be described as no, nothing less than sort of a bomb detonating in your kitchen. You know, there's just, there's just you know, terrible you know, uncleanliness everywhere, and, and, and there was good intentions, but at the same time, you walk in and you say this, now what do I have here? I mean, that's really what, you know, if you've said that, you know that when you say that, you're not saying it's something great most of the time, right? Like, what do I have here is usually saying something that I am seeing is actually really, really bad. And what the Lord says that he sees is this. Now, therefore, what, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. What they're, what they're saying there is that the Lord God, the name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus, is being despised in the culture of Babylon. Now, I would say that we are living in a similar place to the culture of Babylon today, where the name of Jesus is not esteemed, but rather it is um, diminished. It is denigrated in the midst of our culture. But not only that, it says, therefore, and this is where you, know, you can sort of see the Lord getting a little bit angry, you know, because therefore my people... And this is the people of God, those who have trusted and believed. The people shall know my name. The people of God will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. No one else will deliver them. The culture is railing against the people of God, the wisdom of God, the ordinance of God, the law of God, and the people are called to wake up. Awake from your slumber. Now, the idea of waking up is this idea of realization. He wants you to realize that you have been asleep at the wheel. Because I know, too, that there's a, almost a gasping that occurs when you're about to fall asleep and you open your eyes and you go, I almost destroyed myself and all those around me. And there's almost this... <gasps> This gasping that goes on. And so there's this idea of realization. And I know that some of you understand what I'm talking about. You know, have you ever overslept or have you ever slept through your alarm for an important appointment, an important test, or something that you knew that you should not miss? Or, um, you know, the idea of, of, of realization. Let, let, me, let me share with you guys a story about awakening. Uh, and this is not so much awakening, but it's, it's the idea of realization. Yeah, Katie and I um, were blessed to go on, on a 25-year anniversary trip uh, to, to Maine. Uh, uh, was it like a month ago? You know? So Katie and I, you know, this is not our first rodeo. You know, we've traveled a bunch. So Katie and I fly from you know, Norfolk to Baltimore, BWI, and then we're flying up to Portland, Maine, and we're going to drive up to Bar Harbor. It's going to be great. So we, we get to um, Baltimore, and uh, we have about a three-hour layover in Baltimore. And so we're, we're sitting there, and we're wearing masks, and we're trying to figure out what we're going to eat, because it was an early flight out of Norfolk. And we look down, and I said, well, honey, when do we need to be um, at our gate? And she goes, oh, well, it looks like um, uh, we board, I don't know, I, th- I think we board our flights at 1130, I'm like, or 1120, or something like that. I'm like, oh, great, no problem. So we've got like three hours, three and a half hours. We've got tons of time. So, you know, we, we wander around the airport, because we can't sit still. We're wandering around. We get... You know, some decaf coffee for me. You know, we get some tea for Katie. You know, I, I pick up a bagel. And she goes, hey, hey the bagel looks really good. You know, and, and by the way, so we are like, we, we land in like concourse A. 
we go all the way to Concourse B, we go to Concourse C, we go to Concourse D, wherever it is, you know, we're like, we're just wandering the airport because we have like three hours. We're not going outside security. We're just wandering around because we're, uh, we like to walk. Um, and so if we are uh, boarding in Concourse A, we find this bagel that I got over in like Concourse D. And we go, okay, you know, this is great. So we get, con- we, we get it, we come back, and Katie goes, you know, I would love to get one of those right before our flight takes off. And I'm like, no problem, no problem. You know, because, you know, I'm a gracious husband. We're on a 25-year anniversary trip, right? It's wonderful, right? And we're excited. It's going to be a great, great week. So it gets to be, I don't know, 1045. I know that we're going to board at 1130. I'm like, hey, honey, it's 1045. We've got 45 minutes. It's going to take a 20-minute walk to go get the bagel. Let's, let's walk over and get the bagel. And so we walk over, get the bagel. There's a long line at the bagel place, right? But, you know, that's okay. I'm calm. I'm calm. And by the way, this is not who I am, right? Like, I'm not a calm traveler. It's not about the journey. It's about the destination for me. I want to get where I'm going now, right? Like, I, I don't want, like, all you journey people, don't travel with me, okay? Uh, so we're waiting, we're waiting, and I am working. The Holy Spirit is working on me to stay calm and calm. And, and, and she's, she's waiting. She goes, honey, should I get out of the line? I don't want to be late. And I'm like, no, honey, you're fine, because I'm a gracious, kind husband, right? You know, and so, so we're waiting. And so she finally gets the bagel. And, and, and as I'm, I'm saying, hey, honey, what time do we get into Portland? And she goes, I think we get into Portland at like, I don't know, like 12.30, 12.45. I'm like, how is it that we board a plane at 11.30 and then we, you know, it, it doesn't take off till noon and we get into like 45 minutes? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And we look and we realize it doesn't board at 11.30. It leaves at 11.30. And at this point, it's about 11.20, you know? And, and we are on Concourse D and we are going to Concourse A. Let, let me just describe some of those things in terms of, in terms of realization that was going on in my, my heart. Uh, as I look back on this, there was uh, panic, there was fear, there was frustration, there was anger, there was anxiety, there was probably self-flagellation for being so stupid, there was sadness, there was bitterness. I decided then and there that bagels were from the devil and that we should ne- no one should ever eat those ever again. And then I began to walk very quickly with Katie as we're walking towards the gate, thinking, wow, our 25-year anniversary trip started out with a bang. Isn't this great? And we are huffing it, huffing it. I mean, almost jogging with our, you know, we used to have a backpack because we check bags. And we're, we're running, we're running, right? And in the midst of that, like, I realized like, there was a realization that we had gotten it all wrong, that we had read our tickets wrong. Now, the short end of the story is our plane was late by about 15 minutes since so we actually got onto our plane. We got to you know, Bar Harbor. We had a great time. It was wonderful, right? The Lord was gracious to me. But the point of the story here in the midst of that is that there's a realization when you realize that you have bought into a lie. You have bought into the wrong time. You didn't understand what was going on. And all of a sudden there's a realization and all of these things. And what the Lord God is giving to the people of Isaiah, he's saying, awake, awaken, are you about the people of Babylon or are you of the city of Zion? Which will you be? And he goes on. If, and if, so if the first point is awake from your slumber, the second point is this. And we see this um, in verse 2. At the end of verse 1, beginning in verse 2, it says this. No more, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Meaning that those who do not love the Lord will not gain entrance into the city of God. Now, you know, from a, um, a historical perspective, what we're seeing there is that the, only the Jewish people would actually occupy Zion. But in the spiritual sense, 
Those who do not trust and believe in the Lord, those who do not trust and believe in Jesus, will not gain entrance into the city of God. And what it says, the city of God will be a place where there is no sin, where there is no discord. And what it says in verse 2, if if the first point was awake from your slumber, and all these points are going to rhyme today just to help you guys out, okay? If it's awake from your slumber, the second is to shake off the dust of the world. It says, shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Now, now that's an interesting phrase given in Isaiah 52. If you turn back to Isaiah 47, verse 1, I want to show you this. Because in Isaiah 47, verse 1, it actually is a judgment against the virgin daughter of Babylon. It says this, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughters of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Now, juxtapose that with the people of God who are enslaved, that the Lord God is saying, I want you to rise up out of the slavery. I want you to rise yourself out from the dust and arise and be seated, O Jerusalem. Now, the idea of being seated there is that in the ancient world, if you were to actually have a chair, it meant that you were wealthy. And so to be seated means that you have trusted and believed in the Lord and that he has brought you in to his um, family, and he is now allowing you to be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So it's this idea that we shake ourselves from the dust. Now, let me, let me say this. There, there's this sense in which this is a call to holiness. This is a call to, to take away those things that entangle us. Um, Psalm 119 um, actually says this uh, pretty well. Uh, verse 25, it says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Now, there's a sense in which, again, you know, as, as we're called to awake and arise, we're called to shake the dust from Babylon off of ourselves. So as, as we come forward, we, we have to say, where have I allowed Babylon to taint or dirty myself? You know, I think about that in, in the midst of, um, you know, playing baseball, you know, all the way through, like probably till I was like 18 or so, is the only time I would think about ever shaking the dust off was after I would slide in head first. And really, the only reason I would slide in head first would be to be so dirty that everybody could see me like shaking, you know, the dirt off of myself. But there's this sense in which that we as the people of God are called to not live in accord with Babylon but to live in accord with the Lord. And, and again, it says in, in verse, you know, no more they shall come into you, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck. Now, when, when we think about that, there are other places in Scripture, like Hebrews chapter 12, which says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So essentially, the idea of shaking is also the idea of removing sin. It's, it's, it's a call to holiness in the midst of our life. Now, when I run, um, and again, I only run so that I can eat later. Um, but when I run, like when, I run, when I'm running Windsor Castle, and, and, and I get entangled in something, or if, even if my shoelace comes untied, I stop. I tie my shoe because I don't want to get entangled and trip on the trail and have to call 911 and have Katie come get me, 
right? Like, we, we do not want to entangle ourselves or to have our feet entangled or our lives entangled with Babylon, with the world. But rather, we are called to pursue holiness in the midst of our lives. Now, um, Holiness um, by J.C. Ryle, uh, it's a book written by him, but here's how he describes holiness. He says, holiness, and this is really the shaking off or the not being encumbered by the world, holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God. According as we find his mind described in Scripture, it is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. You know, how do we judge whether or not something is of Zion or of Babylon? It comes down to the word of God. How do we judge what is right versus wrong? And some of you might say, well, you know, Pastor, I thought we weren't supposed to judge at all. Like, whoever tells you that has not read their Bible. Because we are called to be a discerning people, to discern what is wicked and what is wise, what is good and what is bad. And in the midst of discernment, you will be making judgments all your life. All your life. Um, as, we, as we continue to think about this, we, we think about this idea of shaking the dust from us. As we think about you know, the sinfulness of sin. You know, and Blake read this in our, our New Testament reading today. He goes in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 20, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Now, the idea is this, is that the dust and what clings to us enslaves us and encumbers us to the world. And what do we receive from the fruit of this encumbrance and its death? But it also says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, that's the good news. The, the idea of the good news of those who, who trust in the Lord. And, and really, the shaking of the dust is, is this reality of saying that there is a sinfulness to, to sin. There's a wickedness to sin. You know, James Smith says this, uh, the, Christian, the Christianity, which is from the Holy Spirit, will always have a very deep view of the sinfulness of sin. It will not merely regard sin as a blemish and misfortune, which makes men and women objects of pity and compassion. It will see sin as the curse which cursed God's beautiful creation. The cursed thing which makes the whole world or whole earth groan and struggle in pain. The abominable thing which God hates. The thing which makes people guilty and lost in His Maker's sight. The thing which deserves God's eternal wrath and condemnation. It will look on sin as the cause of all sorrow and unhappiness, strife and wars, quarrels and contentions, sickness and death. Above all, it will see in sin the thing which will ruin us eternally unless we can find a ransom, lead us captive unless we can get its chains broken, and destroy our happiness both here and hereafter unless we fight against it even unto death. 
I like what James Smith says there. He's saying, are we playing with sin? Are we playing with it? You know, do, we, do we allow ourselves to engage in it and, and sort of play with it? I was, I was talking to my dad about this, and, um, and we were talking about the sinfulness of sin. And he goes, well, son, you know, people like to sin because sin is fun. Sin's fun. You know, like, now, they don't recognize when they're doing it that it will lead to destruction that it will lead to unhappiness because for just a little bit, sin seems to bring just a small amount of joy or happiness to their life. Similar to, and you guys, I've read other stories, but I haven't read this one. Um, there was a man in South Africa. Um, his name was uh, Marius Hells. It's a true story. And Marius Hells thought it would be a really good idea to take and, and, and have a pet Hippo. He had a pet hippo, and, and you know, he named his pet hippo Humphrey. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. Hippos are one of the most dangerous creatures on the planet. You know, I know that they're depicted in children's cartoons as being happy. They're not happy. They're only happy when they're eating you. But keeping a hippopotamus... Um, he, he said this, you know, um, here's, what, here's what Marius said. Marius Hells kept a hippo at his farm in Free State, South Africa, for years, despite being warned about it several times, even calling the animal a son to him. My son, Humphrey, I love this hippo. Until they found, a few years back, his body found floating in the river being thoroughly chewed up by his hippo, Humphrey. And I think that's... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make... You know, anyway. But I think that that's what we do with our sin. We take it and we go, I love this. It's, it's like a son to me. And in the end, it will devour you. It does not lead to happiness. It only leads to pain. I mean, think about... What James Smith says, he says, sin is the cause of all sorrow and unhappiness. Sin is. Sin is also the cause of strife and wars. Because if there wasn't no sin and everybody was getting along and everybody was holy and pursuing God, we wouldn't have strife and wars. Quarrels and contentions, sickness and death. I mean, think about it. Why do we have cemeteries? We have cemeteries today because of sin. Because the, the wages of d- sin is death. And we wouldn't have cemeteries at all if we didn't have that. Think about hospitals. We would have no hospitals. I mean, Alan Mitchell would be out of work. You know, he's already out of work. He's retired anyway. But, you know, or, or Bart or Don, you know, they, they, they would have no, nothing to do because there would be no sickness and disease. Sin is the result of, brings the result of all of these things, of wickedness and strife and revolt. And, and, and what we are called to do as the people of God is to shake yourself loose and, and the dust of sin, the dust of Babylon, to shake it loose. And so the question becomes, like, what part of Babylon is clinging to me? And, and brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right here. Like, what part of Babylon is clinging to my soul in such a way that I don't want to let go of it? I don't want to shake it off. I want to caress and pet my pet hippo Humphrey. What is it? How about this one? Um... To, to identify some things in our life that may, might be idols. Is there anything in your life that if Jesus showed up right now, 
that you would be sad that you didn't get to do here on earth. That thing might be the thing that you're clinging to in the world. Because I've got to say that in the midst of life, if Jesus showed up, that should be, we'd be like, oh, I don't care what else. I just want to be with Jesus. And I want him to take me to heaven. And I want him to, to deal with sin completely and eternally. Is there anything in our life that we wish Jesus wouldn't show up for because we want to see this happen? That thing might be an idol. That thing might be the dust that we need to shake off. But let me, um, if, if, if we think about it in this way, that we're called to awake from our slumber, if we're called to shake off the dust of, of the world, we're also called in this way to take the gospel to those living in bondage. That we're to take the gospel to those living in bondage. You know, so if it's, if it's awake, shake, and take, that, that was the three rhymes that I had, um, take the gospel to those living in, in bondage. Look at what uh, we find in Isaiah 52, verse 7. Back to Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says this, and this is why we, we sang Our God Reigns, right? It says, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing. I mean, there's, there's this idea that the good news that Jesus has come. I mean, he says this, that, that we will not be redeemed with money. Look at verse 3. It says, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. So what does that mean, the idea of redemption? Because the idea of redemption is the metaphor of the marketplace. And so how do we actually pay for something if we don't have money, if we don't have credit? How do we pay for it? And what we find there is this allusion to Jesus. The, the beautiful feet of those who bring good news. Now, all of us have this yearning to deliver good news to those we love, right? Like, think about it. Like, think about how exciting it is when a new baby is born, and how excited the parents, the grandparents, the friends, the family are to just broadcast the news, to publish the news. I mean, people will actually send out like little cards out, like new baby, right? They're publishing the news. Think about this. You know, uh, how about when after an illness, how exciting is it? I mean, people ring bells after their cancer treatment. They ring a bell because they're proclaiming news. When you get a clean bill of health following an illness, you can't wait to tell other people because it's good news, right? It's like, this is good news. You know, on a, on a smaller scale, you know, let, let's say you got a good deal online for something really, really cheap, right? Like, let's say you found a MacBook Pro and it only cost you 50 bucks. That word would spread like wildfire. Unless, you know, you were greedy and you tried to buy them all yourself and then you try to sell them for more. But that's you shaking the dust off. Anyway, um, think about these things. These are the things that we want to tell other people about, this good news. And so, so really, what we are called to do is to have beautiful feet, as it were. You know, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who publishes peace. Now, this is the idea of salvation, that the Lord Zion, the Lord is reigning in Zion, that we will have, he publishes peace, he brings good news of happiness, and he publishes salvation. So there's this idea of peace with God, peace with neighbor, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it's good news of happiness. Now, now the gospel message is this, and we get to it in communion in just a few minutes, is the idea that, that Jesus was our substitute upon the cross. And that all of our sins are placed upon Christ, and His righteousness is then credited to our account. And that's the good news. The good news is that and when that happens, when we trust and believe in Jesus, we have peace with God. Before Christ, outside of Christ, in Romans 5, we are described as the enemies of God. But through the cross, through faith and trust in Jesus and in Him alone, we are actually, um, our relationship with God is reconciled. And we are at peace with God. And you know what happens when you're at peace with God? You can then enter into peace with your neighbor. You can't really have true peace with other people until you have peace with God. But not only that, it calls us that there will be happiness or, or purpose of good news and who publishes salvation. And when we say, your God reigns. Now, this idea, um, let, me, let me give you a little history lesson here. Um, uh, some of you may or may not know where the marathon comes from. Like a marathon, 26.2 miles, right? That's what you've got to run. Well, the marathon is actually comes, and it's, it's a nod to Greek history. The first marathon uh, was the run of a soldier, uh, uh, Pheidippides, from a battlefield near the town of Marathon. Marathon, Greece, okay? He ran approximately 25 miles to announce the defeat of the Persians to some anxious Athenians. Not quite in mid-season shape, he delivered the message. As he's panting, he cried out, uh, Niki, Niki, which is the word victory. So this man runs from, this soldier runs from, you know, uh, we'll just call him Philip. Philip runs um, from Marathon to Athens, 25 miles, you know, and that's the first Marathon. From the town of Marathon to um, to the Athenians, and what he says is essentially, and by the way, just so you know, um, he basically says, Nike, Nike. Nike is the ancient Greek goddess of victory. That's why we have a shoe named after Nike. Yeah, if you ever wanted to know what Nike means, it's really after the Greek word for victory, so you can run fast, okay? Just so you know, you know, just so that I'm giving you a little bit of Jeopardy information for you later on in life, okay? So this is the idea of victory, Victory, And it's the same way in verse 52, verse 7. Because when we bring the news, it is good news, like that soldier saying, Victory, victory, who reigns? Your God reigns. Which is why we sang, we've never, I don't think we've ever sang sang that, that song, Your God reigns, but it's exactly taken from Isaiah 52, verses 7, 8, and 9. We see this idea that, you know, um, for the people of God, as, as we think about you know, the gospel, that this will make us happy, or maybe a more biblical word is joyful. You know, um, the idea is, is this, the true Christian has enough to make him genuinely happy. And, and you think, think about this, all of your sins are forgiven and forgotten. You're adopted into the family of God. You are justified before God and declared righteous. He clothes you in His perfect righteousness. You are called a child of God. You are born again by the Holy Spirit. In the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit resides within you, and you are at peace with God forever. All the promises of God are the Christians. Think about that. Think about how beautiful that is for the people of God. 
All the promises. All the promises of God are given to us. And, and in the midst of this, so, so what is our response to this? Our response to this is not only waking up from the slumber, but shaking off the dust of Babylon, but also taking the gospel to those who don't know it, to those who are, who are living in slavery, those who are living in captivity of sin. You know, this, this Christmas, um, you know, everybody's gonna, a lot of people are going to set up trees, and a lot of people are going to set up Christmas gifts underneath the tree. And this may sound corny, but, but really... What everyone in the world needs is Jesus. More so than anything else. More so than anything else, we need Jesus desperately to save us, to redeem us, to give us purpose. I would would say this. You know, think about when you are giving a gift, have you expressed to the person that you're giving this gift your love for them, in telling them about the good news of Jesus. Now, many people will say, I'm not in bondage to sin. Why do I need to hear about Jesus? And those are people who are asleep. Actually, the the Bible actually calls them dead in their sins and trespasses from Ephesians 2. And yet we're called to be the instruments of, in God's hands, to bring the gospel to bear. And if we love somebody, if we love somebody, we will tell them about Jesus. Now, we also think about this, we we get fearful sometimes in the midst of that. Um, and And I love this because look at verse 10 of Isaiah 52. I'm getting towards the end here as we move towards communion. You know, the Lord um, has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I mean, there's this idea in, in verse 10 that the, the Lord is rolling up his sleeves right there. He's bearing his arm to say, am I powerful enough to actually awaken the dead, to those who are sin? Am I capable of releasing the captives from the captivity of sin? Am I capable of doing that? And he's saying, you know, and, and there's, a, there's an old song. I don't know if you guys, I mean, I was thinking about old songs this week. That's why we sang Our God Reigns. Uh, but some of you have, uh, remember the song um, Awesome God. You guys, any of you guys remember that? Our God is an awesome. I'm not going to sing it. It's terrible. But there's a line in there where it says, um, when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz, or, which is just a terrible line. I mean, it's just, that's why we don't sing it, you know. But what he's saying there, as he bears his arm, he's not doing it to show off. He's doing it because he's about to bring salvation and raise the dead, to release the captives, to declare righteousness to the world. And for those of us sometimes who are fearful about sharing their faith, it says this in verse 12, and this is some of the sweetest uh, verses that you'll see. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight. And why would you run? Why would you flee? It's because you're scared, right? But because in verse 12 at the very end it says this, for the Lord, for Yahweh, will go before you. So, so think about this. So when you are taking the good news of salvation, the Lord is walking in front of you. But not just there. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard as well. So not only is the Lord God of heaven walking in front of you, saying, I'm going to pave the way, you're okay. But I'm also 
going to be guarding the rear. Because some of you, as you move forward, you're like, who's coming after me? Who's coming after me? Don't worry about it. Because I'm not only in front of you, I'm also behind you. Which essentially what he says is, I will love you. I will protect you. I will be with you. Think about it. Think about how you can share the, the love of Christ this year. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we think about all these things, Father, we, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Father, we long for heaven. We look forward to the day when Jesus will rule and reign and He will take away all sin and strife away. But Father, until that day, Father, may we trust and believe in Him. May we run to the cross every day. Father, as often as we think upon our own sin, may we run to the cross ten times and know that we are forgiven. And that, Father, that our salvation costs a lot. The very Son of God died so that we might be reconciled to you. Father, help us to know and believe and to love more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.